Hi, my name is Maya Weigel. I recently just qualified to the Olympic trials in the 10K and here's to the glory days. Hello and welcome back to D3 Glory Days, the home of the fastest D3 marathoner of all time and the guy who tweeted about it. We're thrilled to be back, ready to go, bringing you more content. Thanks, Stu. That is a very uh, generous introduction. Hello again, everybody. Thanks for tuning in again in 2021. 2020 was weird, but we are picking up exactly where we left off. Um, got a new guest coming up for you today. Her name is Maya Weigel, and Stu is going to tell you a little bit about her. That's right. We're joined by Maya Weigel today of Pomona Pitzer. She was coached by Kirk Reynolds, who happened to be on our podcast as well. He was episode 16, so check it out. But back to Maya. Maya was a three-time cross-country All-American, four-time track and field All-American, and capped off her career with a national title in the 5,000 meters in 2017. Since then, she's been training with Peninsula Distance Club in the Bay Area and just started pursuing a PhD from Stanford this past fall. But most recently, she qualified for the Olympic track trials in the 10K, running 32-14 at the Sound Running Track Meet in December. We caught up with her to hear about the race, what her goals were headed into that awesome weekend of racing and talked a little bit more about how she turned her college career, what she said was supposed to be a, a fun time and how she became more serious. That and much more coming up with Maya. If you listen to our 2020 recap episode, um, you heard our plans to continue growing the podcast. Um, so you can help us with that. If you enjoyed the content, you like the interview here today, subscribe, share it with your friends, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. There's also a link on our website and our social media handles. If you want to buy us a coffee or a beer, special shout out to a couple of people who have donated so far, Nick Newcomer and Brad Birch. We appreciate your generosity and we're looking forward to putting your dollars to work. Um, so yeah, sit back, enjoy the interview. And here's to the glory days. All right, we're ready to get season three underway. We're joined by Maya Weigel. Maya just qualified for the Olympic trials this summer in the 10K, running 32-14. Maya, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Of course. We're super excited to hear not only about your most recent race at Sound Running, but also hear about your career at Pomona Pitzer. And we'll definitely get into that. But to start things off, you know, take us through um, that race. You ran 32-14 for the 10K. Uh, Sound Running put on an awesome weekend of high quality racing. So kind of take us through behind the scenes on, you know, why your club decided to go down there to race and just the whole atmosphere of the event itself. For sure. So I, I'd first like to say like major shout out to Sound Running. It was a really well put on race. It felt super safe. Um, you know, there was a lot of anxiety around going down and racing during COVID times. It was my first time during the pandemic running a real race. Um, so I major props to them for putting that on. For me, it was my first track 10K and um, I was super excited um, to finally get to run one after, especially after such a dry spell of racing. Um, I've mostly been doing 5Ks, so I was kind of hitting higher mileage over the pandemic and um, really gearing up to try and do something longer on the track. Um, and our team decided to go down because it, like I said, there were no races, especially in Northern California. Um, so we were just looking forward to get a chance to kind of put to show all this hard work we had been putting in over the past few months. Um, and I was like, after the race, I was so grateful to have had that opportunity because I know they are so rare these days. Um, and yeah, I'm definitely after coming out of that, I'm definitely looking forward to running more 10Ks. It was really, really awesome. 
Yeah, there were a lot of strong uh, debuts in the 10K in that race. And I actually went back and looked up my own 10K debut um, because I was curious to see where I would have stacked up in the women's field. And uh, so my 10K debut, Stu was in the race as well. And um, there's this great picture of us like three laps in and Stu and I are running next to each other and like smiling. And then you, there's another picture from the same angle. You can see the scoreboard. And so we're, we're at that point, like, I don't know, 10 or 11 minutes in and neither one of us are smiling. Stu ended up dropping out and I ran like 3240. Uh, so I thought I was just like, man, I would have gotten wrecked. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty thankful I did not have that experience. It was like a beautifully paced race. I was I was in the second heat and the pacers just were hitting the times so perfectly. And then whoever took over was just doing a great job. So I just really hung on the back of a pack and just sailed to a good time. And it was an awesome experience for that. I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, you mentioned the pacers and kind of the atmosphere of the race, obviously a lot of talented women in there too. And it's kind of a unique opportunity for division three athletes, because I don't feel like a lot of us got those opportunities in college to really run well-rabbited, high-quality races. Um, can you talk a little bit about the difference in racing style where in Division Three, you know, the, the competition level is lower, you're just kind of running to win, and here you were going for that fast time? Yeah, so in my experience in Division Three. You know, in Southern California, there are not a ton of schools that we race against. So a lot of the meets are pretty small. And I was used to being up in the front, maybe leading. I actually had a bad habit of leading a lot of races that I shouldn't have even been leading. So I was not used to having pacers. It was kind of, I was setting the pace. Um, so I think being in these bigger races where um, you don't have to do all of the work, you're just getting pulled is kind of a newer experience for me, but it, I think it's helped me to grow so much and hit these times that I didn't think I was capable of hitting. And I, yeah, I think that's a really great thing coming out of D3, you see like a, a new side to racing that I didn't necessarily get to experience in college. Having this being your debut 10K, you know, did you have the Olympic trial standard in mind or what was your goal heading into, heading into the race? I did have it in mind, but it was, uh, it was a reach goal in my mind. I didn't, I didn't really think it was going to happen. My coach told me, you know, like, think about it, but I didn't want to fixate on it since I'm not one who likes to beat myself up over not being able to hit certain goals. So I was kind of just like, okay, I'll try and run under 33 and see what happens. And the race was being paced at um, the standard time. So I was like, okay, I'll just go with that and see what happens. At what point in the race did that reach goal become a reality in your mind? Or when were you confident, like, hey, okay, sub 33, like, check, let's go after the standard because I've got a real shot here? Probably, like, with a mile to go. I was trying not to look at the clock too much, but then when I started to look at it, it was like, oh, like, doing some quick math. And it seemed like, okay, I, I'm fine running this pace just keep running these whatever 77 78s and I'll hit it and it was like I kind of had this feeling like okay as long as nothing goes wrong and the only thing I could think of that would go wrong is if I like threw up or something so I was like okay just don't throw up and I'm fine so it was kind of like just cruising in the last mile it felt really great so from some rough math based on your splits it looks like your 5k was potentially 16 13 ish 16 12 um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong there. That was just looking at splits without a 5k marker and your college PR was 1620. You know, when you hit that 5k mark and realize you got to keep going for another 5k and you've been running post collegiately, but how cool is it to know like, Ooh, I am running faster than my college 5k and I still have a 5k to go. <laughs> to be honest, I did not think about that when I was racing. I was kind of just like at 5k. It's like, Oh, okay. Got to do another one of these. But when you put it like that, yeah, I think that's pretty awesome. It's like, I didn't really understand this whole concept of negative splitting and that some people like run their 5k PRs in a 10k. Um, but now I see that it's something that's possible and that hopefully that means I can run a lot faster in the 5k too. 
As a former Division Three athlete, is there any like intimidation factor when you go to these races and you look around at the quality of the fields and maybe you know some of the women, you know their college backgrounds and stuff? I mean, I, I know I definitely experienced that to some extent. Do you, was that a thought in your mind at all, or did you were you just like level playing field? Let's go ahead. I think when I um, first uh, started running post collegiately there definitely was a lot of that, even like within my team, I just felt like I was like so many steps behind all these other girls. But now at this point, I think, you know, there's people who come out not having, haven't run in 10 years and come out and are doing way better than everyone else. And I think it's, I think that that can be put aside at this point. And it's kind of like, we're all just post-collegiate runners. I guess some of us are pros, some of us, you know, but experience is different for everyone. I think there's a lot of intimidation when you first start coming out, but it kind of slowly goes away as you realize that um, it starts to level out on the, on the post-collegiate scene. You know, you're a PhD student at Stanford, which in of itself is a, a giant task. You add in your post-collegiate training, you know, how are you able to balance such two, I guess, kind of extremes in, in your life with, you know, trying to pursue higher education as well as pursuing higher uh, competitive running? Yeah, that's a good question. So I actually just started my PhD program this fall. Um, and it probably looks a little bit different than it would in past years since I take all my classes online and all that kind of thing. So I think that actually lends a lot more flexibility to a training schedule than what I had when, um, before I started grad school, which was a nine to five job. And I think that actually is much harder in getting in the training than it is now, because, you know, now I can take a break in the middle of the day and go for a run, or I don't have to run in the dark anymore. So it's hard, but I think the flexibility is the biggest thing, you know, running is like, you can only run for so much time. Like, it's not like a football practice where you have to spend hours and hours every day. It's like, a couple hours every day and that's like a, a doable thing it's kind of you make sacrifices in other areas but I think there's just like anybody working and trying to run there's there's time for both I'm definitely curious to know more about like why you decided to run post-collegiately um, and what that looked at like in the early days but I think now is probably a good time for us to kind of uh, rewind and go all the way back um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from and how you kind of got into running originally? Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm from the Bay area. I grew up in Mountain View, California, um, which is, you know, like 45 minutes South of San Francisco, for people who don't know, I would say I got into running for a few different reasons. Um, one was that my dad was a runner in, well, he made it partially through college, at Lewis and Clark. So he actually also ran D3. And then I had, um, well, it's kind of like this little story about in elementary school, all the schools did this inter-school competition that was called the Junior Olympics. And, um, you know, in elementary school, it's like your running is really like what you do in PE class. And so um, we had this one event that was called the 1320, I think it was 1320 yards, super random. And I was standing on the starting line at this competition and my dad told me he would give me a hundred bucks if I won, obviously having no idea like what I could run. And, you know, as a fourth grader, that's a lot of money. So I was like, that's oh, good. That's yeah. good prize money. That's better than a, yeah. lot of, <laughs> a lot of road races. Yeah. And then when I think about it, there were a couple of friends, dads who were also like, yeah, I'll give you a hundred bucks too. Like, obviously none of them thought I would win. And then I ended up winning this race by like, hundred yards or whatever it was. So it was, it was not even close. Um, I will say, I don't think any of them actually paid up, which I am still looking for that money. So I don't we, know. We can was... launch some, uh, we're announcing some litigation here on B3 Glory Days <laughs> today. We're, we're coming after them. Exactly. Yeah. But after that, I just kind of, you know, I, I was always a soccer player. So running was kind of like something I just like to do since, you know, I liked running laps at soccer practice and nobody else did. And then, you know, you just go on from there and I joined the cross country team and then really fell in love with it. So that's my intro to running. So with soccer and running, was there ever a question of playing soccer in college or was it always going to be cross country and track in college? 
it was definitely never going to be soccer. I think I quit soccer like my freshman year of high school. Um, but I didn't know I wanted to run in college probably until I was a senior. It was just something I loved to do. I had a, a great team. Um, there are actually quite a few girls on my high school team who went on to run in college as well. And they were kind of an inspiration to me. So that's kind of got me, got me into it and kept me going. But it was never, I never thought I would take it as seriously as I did. Can you give us some indication of like how good you were in high school? I, I know California is extremely deep and it has a class system that I don't really understand. Um, but you ran like 507 for the mile by your senior year, right? I think that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I looked it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not better than I do. Um, yeah. In So it's incredibly hard to make the state meet in California. It's just so competitive. There's so many girls. It's so deep. I was mostly an 800 runner to start. I think I ran a 220 was my PR in high school. And yeah, I never made, I never made state except for on the, our four by four team made it one time and we like came in last place at state or something like that. But I, so yeah, I ran, I, I also ran some 400s. I think maybe I broke 60 in high school. That sounds, may, may have been on a relay leg though. Um, I think my top place at conference was like sixth or something with that 507. So, you know, it, it was tough. I think from those times, I never really thought I would be a competitive to get into colleges. And that's kind of what led me to D3. But also I was wanting to prioritize academics over athletics, um, which I think is kind of the D3 vibe. Um, but I always thought it would be a nice thing to have running both helping me get in and then also when I'm there as a as another thing it ended up being a good thing so when did Pomona come into the to the mix you know you said you're from the Bay Area it's obviously a great institution down by uh, LA you know were NESCAC schools in the mix at all because typically when people look at Pomona they're looking on the east coast at the NESCACs as well yeah I had thought about it honestly I'm like such a California sun baby that I was um, a little scared to leave and have to go face the cold on the East Coast. But I did, I was looking at Johns Hopkins, I think, and also some other small schools um, over there. But I actually decided to apply early to Pomona. And so once I got in, that was kind of like, I didn't have to look at any other schools. So yeah, so I just, I wanted to stay, stay local-ish, you know, Southern California, Northern California, not not too big of a difference. And yeah, I wanted to run and I thought a small school would be my best bet for that. Um, so that's what led me over to Pomona. Let's talk about your transition into college and specifically college running. I mean, your freshman year, you weren't a superstar. Um, you didn't really do anything that would indicate the success that you would come to have. Um, how was your transition from more high school training into into collegiate training at Pomona and uh, how how did you find the team when you got there? Um, so transitioning in, I would say it was like running wise, it was pretty easy. I think um, my coach, Kirk Reynolds, who I think you guys had on the podcast earlier this year, um, he had a pretty lax attitude about um, training and it was kind of, it, it felt like it was going to be as intense as we wanted to make it or as you as an individual wanted to make it. And um, I definitely embraced the college vibes my freshman year. I did a lot more partying than I did running. Um, I probably ran like five times a week or something. No idea what my mileage was, never wore a GPS, probably like 30 to 40 miles. So it was like not intense training. And I just, I think, honestly, I think that was a good thing. It kind of let me explore college and have fun and then um, come back to running the next year because I wanted to make it more intense, not because I felt like the team was putting pressure on me to do that. And the team itself was amazing. I think everyone else had similar attitudes that they were out there more for fun than to be a super intense team, um, which is D3 to its extreme. So um, we had fun, but practice, you know, it, it was still serious. It was just not, not the main focus, especially for me that first year. That first year, you were 25th in the region, in the West region for cross country. You move in to track and, you know, you're coming in as a 507 miler. 
Uh, it looks like your first mile race as a college runner was 532. Did, was that a wake up to you to like, Ooh, maybe I should take this a little bit more seriously. Cause you had to end up running 219 and 445 in the 1500, you know, what was a wake up call for you to kind of take it maybe a little bit more seriously? Yeah, that's a good question. I think my freshman year, I just like, I was just going with the flow. I think in track, I, I was hitting good times for my team. And so I was like, all right, sweet. Like I'm doing what I need to do. Um, I think it kind of just came naturally when I realized like, oh, I really love running and I want to just like put some more effort into it, maybe run some more miles. And that's kind of what happened. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like a wake up call, like, oh, I'm not doing well enough. I need to start pushing harder. It was kind of just a, I could be really great. Let me see what I can do. So I think, I think that is part of what made me love it so much is that it was just a self-driven I love this sport. I want to keep going with it kind of thing. I, I like what you said about running was in your program, at least at first, like kind of as intense as you wanted to make it. And I feel like I had a very similar experience at DePaul. And, um, you know, looking back on it, I really credit it to the reason why I'm kind of running now and why I've always loved running because I was never forced to do something I didn't want to do. Um, but I also look back with a certain amount of frustration, wondering, like, could the team have been better? Like, could I have been better in college? And so it's kind of a, a mix between like longevity versus like in the moment success. Um, we're maybe getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but have you ever thought about it that way? Yeah, totally. I, um, yeah, I totally agree with you on the, the, that whole thing contributing to longevity, but, um, yeah, there were definitely times where I felt some frustration, like on my team, there were plenty of girls who just didn't train over the summer at all. Um, and we definitely could have been a lot better, but I, I think it wasn't really the spirit of the team to like, again, to force anyone to do anything. And yeah, there was some frustration and I, especially in my later years, I didn't have a lot of people that I felt like I could run with even on easy days because I, thought I should be going faster and, um, or having people to do workouts with. So I, I don't know, there's a give and take to that, the, the making it as intense as you want it to be. There are good things and bad things to it. And, um, overall, I think it worked out well for me as a D3 runner. So, yeah. We're going to ignore Noah calling me out there indirectly, um, for the team frustrations. So we'll just keep moving right along. Um, in, in that regard, uh, Dude, you could have been so good though. You could, could have been so good. <laughs> Why did you join that frat? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll take this off air. Um, you know, speaking of, you know, having teammates not <laughs> run over the summer, you know, let's talk about your summer headed into your sophomore year. It sounds like things were starting to pick up for you and, and you knew this was going to be, you know, you wanted to be a runner in college there. You're looking at some of the results. It seems like you, you put in the work. Do you remember that summer at all or that mentality you had going into your sophomore year? You know, vaguely. Um, I think I was like, living by myself somewhere in Southern California doing some internship and so I just had a lot of time to run and I really liked it and so that I put in some good training over the summer and then going into that the fall of sophomore year I was pretty enthused you know the the track team was my fan or the cross country and track teams were my family and I just felt so at home there and and happy to be back running with them that I think that kind of encouraged me to be running more and be more enthusiastic about being on the team. Um, and then I had some big breakthroughs that fall that I think really enforced and, you know, it was positive reinforcement that everything I was doing was working out well. Um, and that kind of drove me forward for the rest of my collegiate career too. You established yourself as a higher caliber of athlete. You ended up winning the region your sophomore year and um, earning your first All-American award. Uh, do you remember the moment where that flip switched and you were like, oh, okay, I'm a lot better than I was last year and it's time to reevaluate the end goal. Yeah, I think it was that regional meet. It, I think it was in, um, it was hosted by Willamette up in Portland um, or in Salem. And yeah, I was not expecting at all to win that race. And I really surprised myself there. I think looking back on my college career, actually, that was like 
probably the most um, memorable race for me. Um, and so that was kind of a big breakthrough. I was super excited after that. Um, and then going into nationals, I was like, oh, I can really like compete with these top people this year. Um, and that kind of, you know, it's like once you realize that you are at the top and you can place high or potentially win, it's kind of a big motivator for um, working hard to stay up there and be one of those top people. Yeah, I think it's impressive. You know, we touched on your 10K debut and it's an Olympic trials qualifier. And then your nationals debut in cross country, you were in all American status. You know, what is it about those big races and, and those debuts that you're able to just you know, motivate yourself, like you said, that you can hang in there? Like, is there anything, are there any rituals that you go through to kind of prepare yourself for a race like that? Hmm. I'm not a very superstitious person. I don't have like very specific rituals, you know, maybe it's like wearing the same socks all the time, but, um, that one race, it was like this super muddy course. I watched the men run first and there were all these people like wiping out and falling on top of each other. And so I was like pretty freaked out and I was just like, okay, I just have to get through this race and not fall and then I'll be good. And so I think I was like more focused on that whole like anxiousness about like making it through the race in one piece um, rather than like really racing. But I think sometimes that's really a good thing to just have something to distract you from and not worry about like, I'm going to be in pain. You're more worried about like slipping and falling on your face. What was the reaction from your uh, coach and teammates when you, uh, you know, became an All-American for the first time? I think they were excited. I'm trying to remember. I, I didn't have any teammates there. It was just me and um, Kirk, Coach Reynolds. Um, so he was obviously super excited for me. He's, you know, a pretty low key guy. So there's no like jumping and screaming, but I could tell in his very subtle way that he was really excited for me. And then, you know, back home, my teammates, I think I was like the first person in a while to even go to the nationals meet. So I had a ton of support from all of my teammates back at Pomona and um, obviously from my family. It was kind of you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was, that was my first time there. I was just, felt like I was just slipping around in the mud and having a good time. And I was really excited to be an All-American that meet. As you said, you were more of a 800 miler type in high school. You know, you, you crossed that bridge then of becoming an All-American in cross country. Were you just super stoked then to have a track season now where it's like, all right, I can finally unleash my speed. I can run 800s. I can run 1500s. You know, how excited were you for, um, yeah, I, I was really excited. I still was thinking of myself as a um, mid-distance runner at that point. I don't think I started running. A, I think I, the first 5K I ran was my junior year. So I was still like, I'm a 1500 runner. I'm going to try and run fast. And I also ended up making it to nationals in the 1500 that year. Um, and it was kind of kind of the same thing that I was just excited to be there and didn't really have any idea of how I could place and what kind of things I could do. So you know, it's, it was, it was a learning experience. I think both of those national meets, but they really helped for my later years when I, I was competing to be one of the top people there. Talking about your training a little bit, um, you know, by your sophomore year, you mentioned that you were, you know, the lone representative at nationals. Um, were you doing most of your training alone or just kind of working out alone or how did the logistics of that work? Yeah, I think at that point, you know, there was still like, we still had a good team that I had people to do long runs with and regular runs. Um, but yeah, a lot of my workouts, I did end up solo. Um, our, the, our men's and women's teams were pretty separate. So it's not like I could jump in with guys or anything. Um, and that was tough. I think it would have been helpful to have a little bit more of a push from teammates surrounding me but it it ended up working out I think um Kirk gave me good workouts and I'm pretty good at self-motivating and looking at a looking at a watch and trying to click off paces and stuff although I did tell you that I'd never used to wear a GPS so you know maybe it was him yelling paces at me and I would just follow along um <laughs> so you know it, it was there was a lot of solo work but I kind of got used to it especially by the end of my days there and um occasionally would have somebody try and pace me for a few reps and that kind of thing did it ever get tedious training alone I know Noah can maybe relate to you more than I can um 
but obviously, you know, you want to be part of a team and, and running with others, but if you're constantly doing workouts alone, how much did it ever drag you down at all? I don't know. I, I guess I don't think of it as alone because either you're on a track or on a road with all these people and sure you might be running alone, but you still feel like you have these people around you supporting you kind of thing. I think I, I just, I really just got used to it and that it didn't feel like a drain. And it, it honestly, I guess we can get into this later, but when I did transition to my current team, it felt, felt weird to have people around you on a track and try to follow in a line and that kind of thing. So I got used to running alone a lot, but it, it, I didn't feel like I was missing out on having a team around me necessarily, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that. And I think, you know, for people who are in that situation on their college or high school teams, you really do have to focus on just the appreciation that there is a coach there with a stopwatch and your teammates are running the same workout as you, if even if they're running a slightly different pace. And so it's more about absorbing like energy from the atmosphere than it is um, directly from a pack of people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk like going into the summer after your sophomore year, are things like continuing to ratchet up in terms of like your summer mileage and your summer training, or are you kind of sticking to the plan that made you successful the summer prior? Yeah, I think it was definitely an increase. And I, I think that's what I owe a lot of my success in not getting injured to is just the steady, slow, steady increase of um, mileage and intensity and um, I think Kirk also realized that and he would, you know, he would very incrementally try and increase my training and, um, that really worked well. And I think, you know, by senior, my senior year, I was getting up to like 70 miles a week, which seemed like a lot back then. Um, but it, it happened slowly and over time and I, it worked really well. I never got injured and, and yeah, I think, I think it was the right way to do it. You mentioned you saw yourself still as a mid-distance runner, even after you were an All-American in cross-country. You know, you add uh, another performance at the national meet in the 5K heading into your junior year cross-country. So now all of a sudden you're on a 5K at nationals, you're an All-American in cross-country. Did you start seeing yourself a little differently as a, you know, heading into your junior year cross-country season? Yeah, definitely. I, um, I think after running a good 5K, I was like, all right, like, I guess I could do this. I didn't love it. I was still like 1500 is my jam. So it was, um, it was kind of like, I wanted to run the 1500. So I stayed there, um, but I loved cross country. So I was kind of caught in this in between. Um, and it wasn't until later that I realized like, okay, maybe I should just switch to the 5k is my main thing. Um, but I still like, I think throughout college, I considered myself a 1500 runner. But, you know, seeing seeing some successes in the longer distances can make you want just want to run more and do these bulkier workouts and that kind of thing. And you definitely had success in longer distances in cross country. Your junior year, you continue to improve. You won the region again and you finished third at nationals, which is, I think, the best the program had ever done. Yeah, I think so. Maybe there was like it was matched by one one other girl a, f a few years prior, but yeah, I was, I was pretty stoked on that, on that finish. Can you, can you talk us through that, that third place finish? Yeah, that race was a, it was a weird one. It was really cold. I remember. And there was just kind of, I think maybe the race didn't go out super fast. So there was a huge pack um, of women running together for the majority of the race. And it really only strung out in the last like 800 meters maybe. And it was kind of just like a battle for first. I will say I was a little bummed that I could not finish stronger since, you know, that was kind of my pride in being the 1500 runner that I was a, I was a quick finisher, but you know, I think I was still super happy with that third place finish and it was definitely the highest place I had come in so far, but you know, as you get higher to the top, you have higher hopes for what you can do. Um, but I knew I had more opportunities after that too before we started talking, I looked up that result and actually remember I was watching that on my phone. It was at Oshkosh that year. Um, the only reason I remember it because I remember seeing uh, a DePaul flag 
being waved uh, down the down the the straight, and so I remember. Plus, I ran an Oshkosh too, and so that's a long straightaway once you make that final turn. And if you're in a pack there, you know it feels like it's forever. You know the top three was separated by less than four seconds. You know, did you at any point feel like you had that had the race, or was it just still? not sure what was going to happen in that final stretch. I think I was like maybe buried pretty far in the pack before the last stretch. So I was honestly kind of happy to be able to come out of it and get up that high placing that I did. I I can't remember if there was like a, like a battle. I think it was, it was close, but not like that close that we were like fighting till the last second. To step out of athletics for a second, you know, you're, you're establishing yourself as a national caliber runner at this point. You know, what was your life on campus like outside of running? Um, you know, we'll get into your academics a little bit, um, but kind of rank your priorities in college. And, um, you know, D3 is the student athlete division. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you balanced everything? Yeah, like I said, I chose Pomona for academics primarily. I would say you know, it changed over my years. I would say year one was fun was the priority. Um, And then I think it really blended into a a combination of athletics, academics, and fun. And I, I really tried to balance all three. And I think I did a pretty good job of that. I don't think my academics really suffered because of running. And I don't think my running ever suffered because of um, academics. I've always really thought of running as kind of like this escape outlet from stressful things. And I still think of it that way. And I think that's helped me continue on, um, and, you know, have success in it. Cause it's only, it's only going to be, you're only going to do well when it's really something you love and that it's like your fun thing. So I think the running was the fun and fun and the running. And then there was also more fun, <laughs> but you know, there, it was a balance. And I think, I think it worked out really well. And obviously being D3 was a huge part of that. DePaul likes to say, you know, you come to DePaul to be a lifelong learner. I'm sure a lot of that can be division three schools. As you mentioned, you're a PhD student now. What was the motivation or was that always in the plans to be, to go get your PhD? Yeah. Um, I think it was, for the most part in the plans, you know, I, some like at times considered med school, um, a lot of, I think D3 is, or well, small schools, liberal arts schools are very pro academia. And so I kind of fell into that whole pattern. Um, and yeah, so I, when I graduated, I was like, okay, I'm going to take some time off to work and get some other experience. And then I, um, decided to apply to PhD programs last year. Um, it was always kind of in the back of my head. Um, and I, I used to think that like, okay, once I go to back to school, running has to be, um, kind of just put on the side, but I've realized it's like kind of the same as in undergrad, you can do both and have success in both. Back to running. Um, <laughs> you're, you're going to have to to educate me on this. Were you, were you running indoor track all four years? No. So, um, as you know, California does not have really any indoor track. And so, uh, yeah, so we, we don't have indoor track as a season, um, especially down in Southern California. Um, but my senior year, um, my coach decided it would might be a good idea to try it out. So I did one meet in Seattle and qualified to nationals and then did the nationals meet. And that's still my only two indoor races ever. And I think I'd like to keep it that way. I did not love it. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get into that, those um, a little later. Um, but how did that, how did, were you guys just jumping straight into outdoor workouts, you know, after your break from cross country or did you take a prolonged break or like how did your program handle not really competing that indoor season? Yeah, I guess I never thought about it because I didn't, I actually didn't know that indoor was a thing for like most of my college career. So, um, and, and you know, it's the same thing in high school. We also didn't have indoor. I don't know if most high schoolers around the rest of the country do, but um, I mean, here you can run outside all year long, which is awesome. Um, so we 
don't know, we'd finish cross country. Everyone would go home for Christmas. Some people would run. I guess I would continue training and then we would come back and yeah, just start doing um, work on the track. We had some super early season meets like in February and stuff. So that was um, a good way to get us into it. And it was definitely a very prolonged season. So it was almost kind of nice to have a slow build up into track. I liked that. Having now been third place in cross country, you've started your track season off pretty hot. You know, did you ever get the urge to want to go run indoors or was that never an option? I know you said you did it your senior year, but like, did you miss out on not running those indoor championship races? Um, honestly, I don't think I really thought about it. I, I think I enjoyed the break. I think it was like, it was a nice thing to not have to do it. Yeah, I, I don't good. blame you. It's having an awful, we had a nice indoor track at the par, I'd say maybe, but it's rough. Those 200 meter turns and, and having that dry air is not enjoyable. I have a lot of fractures in my lower legs from that track. <laughs> Just like, it's so brutal. Yikes. All right. But we're, str- we're stronger for it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we should probably talk about your last year, your senior year, you know, going into that year, did you, uh, you don't strike me as somebody you, who like, you know, writes down goals and it kind of pursues them relentlessly. It seems like you kind of let them come to you. Um, am I wrong in that assessment? No, you're right. I mean, there was after, you know, having a couple of seconds and third place finishes that there was the obvious goal of wanting to win a national title. Um, and I was definitely going for it in cross country. I didn't, I think I maybe, I think I came in third again that year. So that, you know, that was always in the back of my head, whether it was like written down on paper or not. And it was also uh, my coach's goal to get me to win a national title. And so I definitely felt a lot more pressure than I did any of my other years, both in cross country and track, um, because there was now a very tangible goal in front of me. And um, I think I put, I think I put more pressure on myself that year. And I think, I think it maybe did some harm. I gotta say, like, I, I had a hard time hitting the same times um, in track that I did my junior year. Um, and I don't know if it was the stress or just like senior year, there's a lot of emotions and that whole thing that, um, it was tough. It was, you know, I felt like I was fighting for something that I didn't know if it would happen or not. And there could be a second difference between a first and a second place, but that is like what makes a huge difference. So, um, yeah, there was, it was different that year. Yeah, I think there, it's a pretty big transition to go from, from where every success is kind of a welcome surprise, you know, but you're not really disappointing anyone when you fail. But then, you know, when you when you do finish third, your junior year, all of a sudden you're starting to shoulder expectations because anybody who hears that is going to think logically like, OK, she should win a national title and expectations can um, increase pressure. Um, especially for someone who doesn't have like a long history of being an elite um, level athlete, but you kind of got there your junior year and then all of a sudden we're shouldering this weight. Um, Yeah. Were you enjoying running less that year or just kind of seeing it differently? Yeah, I don't think I was enjoying it less. I think it, like you said, I think that first of all, that was all really well put. Um, I think it was just this added pressure. Um, of trying to hit these same times that I had the previous year and it wasn't going exactly how I was envisioning it. You know, I had been on a steady trajectory of improvement. And then when you feel like you're plateauing, that's kind of like the most frustrating thing you can deal with as a runner. Um, So I don't know, I was still putting in the same work, trying to, you know, up the intensity a bit um, and, I think I thought things weren't going well that I was plateauing, but I think you can not be having these perfect races, but still making big improvements um, to your running and to your training. And I think that's what I was doing. It just wasn't necessarily um, showing there in all my races. And because I wasn't improving, like taking huge chunks off my times like I had in previous years. 
Yeah, I think there's stuff to be said about the intangibles that you are improving on and not necessarily just on paper with timesheet. And so, you know, when you are ready for that breakout race or for a national title hunt, you know, you'll be more prepared for it. And it looks like you guys had a decision to make there, your indoor indoor season. I know you mentioned you wanted to go win a national title and you were third in cross country. You know, what was the decision to go for the mile? Kirk sent me to this race in at the UW track. And so that was kind of like my one shot to try and qualify to nationals. Um, so I really just had to pick one or the other. I, I don't know if it was maybe the mile 3k were back to back or something like that. Um, and again, like I had, I had always considered myself a 1500 runner in college. So like the mile just made sense. So I was like, okay, we'll just go for it the mile. Um, and I qualified and I think I came in third again at, at that national meet. Um, I almost forgot that that whole indoor thing happened. It was such a like brief little stint in my running career, but you know, it was a good experience. Well, it, it was an okay experience. I, I don't love indoor from those two races, but you know, maybe I haven't really done a, a real good indoor meet. So who knows, maybe one day I'll try it out again. When you finished third, were you like, shit, I am cursed. You know, you, you now finished third three times at that point in national meets. I mean, it's a great result, but was there part of you that just like, why can't I finish it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. It was very frustrating. Um, it's like part of you should is saying like, oh, I should be so happy with this third place finish. But then like the majority of you is saying like, God dang it, why can I not win any of these things? So, you know, that was on my shoulders for a long time. Yeah, I mean, you you got, obviously you kind of ran that extra season, I guess, that year you had more motivation going into outdoor. Um, I mean, were you, were you fired up in a way maybe you hadn't been before to like, finally get that national championship yeah definitely um and that season was also kind of this choice of trying to transition a bit more to the 5k and honestly a big reason for that um I think if it was totally up to me I would have chosen the 1500 but um realizing that I think you had her on the podcast earlier or maybe last year as well that um a runner named Emily Richards was incredibly dominant in the middle distances and she had started running the 1500 and both Kirk and I kind of decided there's you probably have a better shot in the 5k at nationals and so that kind of shifted my focus um, to training for the 5k and then I think in past years I had doubled in the 1500 5k and just deciding to give up the 1500 for nationals and just like put all my eggs in the basket and in the 5k and really go for it. Backtracking for like three seconds there, you know, when you, you kept getting the third, you know, looking into some of the results and you mentioned Emily Richards. I mean, you were going up against some really strong women um, in that period. I think multiple times you ran up, ran up against Amy Reagan, Tara Cordani, Taryn Cordani was in, was involved there too. So how sweet was it to finally get their numbers then in the 5k, you beat both Amy and Taryn um, to get your first title or do you not pay attention to who you're racing against or the competition. Yeah, no, um, Amy Regan was definitely always on my radar for competing. I think she beat me many a times at um, national competitions. So um, yeah, to really just be able to go for it in, in that last race. I mean, obviously I didn't care who I was beating. It was just like, I cared that I finally could win um, one of those national titles. So um, that was like, really a big, a big exciting moment for me, I will say, after many seconds and thirds to finally come away with one. Yeah, it's what we talked to, you know, some athletes we have on here won a million national championships, and you kind of, you kind of have to ask the question, like, at, at some point, does it kind of lose its luster, like, do you get bored winning national championships after you win five or six, but your story is pretty cool because you showed steady improvement and then your career was kind of culminated with that national championship. Um, and Kirk finally got his national championship too. Um, 
did he show any emotion after after that 5k win yeah it was actually um uh, pretty emotional for me and I think for him my senior year so Kirk got really sick um during my senior year track season and couldn't come to um the nationals meet with me so my assistant coach was there her name's Emma um and it, I almost was in tears finishing because I was you know how like the um your coach hands you your medal or whatever when you're on the podium and I was I was just really sad that Kirk was not there, but I knew obviously he was watching and he was very proud of me. So um, it, it was a very emotional experience. And I, I, you know, I, I have no idea what his emotions were, but I was, I was very emotional over it. And I think, you know, I felt like we had put in a lot of hard work together and I was sad he was not there, but also um, very happy to have him as a mentor and coach when he couldn't be at practices that senior year. Yeah, let's hear about your relationship with Kirk. It sounds like you guys, you know, had a, a strong understanding and a strong relationship. You know, how much has he meant to for your running career? Yeah, he he's meant so much. I don't think I would be the runner I am now um, without having his mentorship. Like I said, he's a pretty like low-key never yells at you and races kind of go or yells at you ever um and I really liked that coaching style I think it was different from what I had experienced in high school um and at first it was kind of hard like I I wanted somebody who was really going to push me and um you know yell at me in races and he didn't do that but I think over the years I started to realize that this like attitude of letting yourself grow as a runner is what is going to help you in the long run and it's what is going to make you fall in love with running not having a coach that is pushing you to do everything all the time um I think he was incredibly smart with my training in um building it up slowly and um really peaking me at the right time and making sure I did not get injured um I, I owe a lot of my success to all of his training and he was a great coach. You got to college, um, you know, as a fine runner who was kind of looking to improve and have a good time. You left college as a national champion. How did, how did your four years in college change your relationship with running? I think a lot. I, you know, I, I didn't, when I went into college, like, I think I mentioned before, it was like running, running honestly was the thing that was helping me to get into Pomona. It was not necessarily like I was going to college to be a runner, um, but I definitely fell in love with it more and more throughout the years. Um, and then obviously I am still running. So it's a sign that it is, um, has kept me loving the sport. And I think it, it fostered a really, really great relationship with running. Um, that I think I said before, it's this thing that is your stress relief and um, your fun. And um, I, I don't think I necessarily would have gotten that out of being at a big D1 school or something. So go D3. Do you ever look back and think of the impact that you made on Pomona as, just, as you know your success, what that brought? It looks like your senior year, uh, Lauren Hamilton went to nationals with you and then she went to nationals with another individual. And then a year after that, Pomona finally got a team back there. Do you ever see, you know, your hand at play there and, and the impact that it made? I don't know. I, I would like to think so, but um, who knows? Like teams change from year to year. I think I would, I would at least like to say that maybe I helped encourage people and see that like you can make it to these big meets and um be one of the top runners in the country and obviously that happened there was I had a teammate a few years below me was one of the top um 5k runners in the country as well so I think I don't know as long I I never I don't know if I had any direct impact but I I would like to think that maybe I was at least some sort of role model for um that you can put in this work and still be a good student and still have fun and have successes in D3. At the top of the show, we, you know, discussed a little bit of what you're doing now, PhD program at Stanford um, and still training post-collegiately and having success. 
Can you go into some more detail on kind of your day to day, what exactly you're doing in school and, uh, you know, kind of the training situation you're in now? Yeah. Um, so I think, well, first of all, I'll just say when I first graduated um, college, I joined Peninsula Distance Club, which is um, coached by Dina Evans. She used to coach at Stanford. And so we um, we usually meet at Stanford for um, training runs or in other areas along the peninsula, aka that's why we're Peninsula Distance Club. Um, obviously, things have changed a lot since, um, since March when the pandemic hit. Um, we can't meet at Stanford anymore for one since the campus is all closed off. So we have to be creative and finding new places to meet and um, even meeting up at all is, you know, it's hard. Um, and my life changed a lot again at the start of the pandemic because I was no longer working nine to five, which I honestly think has helped a lot in my training um, that I don't have to run early in the morning or late at night. Um, and now as a student, which I just started in September, it's also has lent a lot more flexibility in that I take my classes online so I can, you know, I can show up to class just right after a run because I just turn the camera off. Um, and so besides classes, I also, a big component of my PhD program is doing lab work. So I still go into lab. Um, and again, that's all like, we, it's a very safe environment. We all have to get COVID tested every week. Um, and, you know, it's, it's still, it's a flexible schedule. It's kind of when I choose to go in. So it lends for plenty of time for either meeting up with teammates, doing my own running. Um, I can go for long runs on the weekends um, and being here in the Bay Area. I can run outside all year long, except fire season, which is um, the worst time of the year. <laughs> so it, it's a, it's a both a great place to train. And I think I'm in a really good situation for training too. What kept you motivated during this time? Uh, you know, you're working nine to five, probably working remote races are being canceled left and right. You know, did the sound running 10 K give you that glimmer of hope of, Ooh, I have something to go after now, or were you preparing for, 2021 track season to then qualify for the trials that yeah so at the start back in like april may you know when there was like literally nothing on the schedule um i was really just running to run i wanted to like try and hit new goals like how many miles can i run in a week and what's the longest run can i do i want to run 25 miles for my 25th birthday like all these random little goals that were not geared towards a race or anything. It was just like hitting new training goals. And I think that really kept me motivated because it was fun. Um, and then I think when Sound Running put out the announcement about the meet that maybe was only like much later in the summer that was kind of like, oh, like now there's a thing I can train for. Um, and I kind of shifted my focus from doing these like just long fun runs to training for something serious, but I think having that period of time where I was just like running to hit new fun goals was super, super helpful in my training. I had, I had never really ever gone on a 20 mile long run or any of that. So it, I think it really propelled my 10 K running forward. Now that you've hit the standard in the 10 K, have you let your imagination wander to, you know, actually running the Olympic trials? I mean, that's a reality that probably wasn't on your radar until recently and now you know it's a pretty cool thing yeah absolutely I never thought that I would make the trials so it's kind of like just sinking in like oh yeah I guess now I like have a thing that I'm going to train for and that's going to be my main thing next year so I I'm really excited to do it again and even just to run another 10k and try to notch down my 5k um, PR I think those are all goals I have going forward for 2021. Um, and hopefully there'll be a lot more race opportunities. So um, we can get all those times in and all of that. Seeing yourself as a mid distance runner all through college, you know, did you ever anticipate running a 10 K that would qualify you for the Olympic trials? Um, not until recently, honestly, I, I don't, I hadn't really thought about doing a 10 K until maybe this past year when I um, I ran a half and 
honestly had so much fun with it that I was like, oh, these longer distances are kind of fun. And I think, um, I think it honestly is as you get older, it's easier to do the longer distances, um, partially because training is more just running a lot than it is having to do so much strength and speed workouts for shorter distances. But I also just think running long is fun. Um, so moving to the 10 K was kind of, kind of natural that came with all these miles I was doing. Um, and I was honestly shocked at how good the race felt. I thought it was going to feel like pain and death, but it was felt so much better than racing a 5k. So really like that distance. Well, Maya, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I think you're a great example of, you know, how an athlete can develop at their own pace in division three, achieve a level of success, and then hopefully graduate with that, uh, you know, love of running uh, still intact. And so thanks for uh, joining us to share your story today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. This is an awesome podcast and I'm very honored that I got to be a part of it. All right, that does it for the first episode of season three with Maya Weigel. I want to thank Maya for her time. It was great to learn more about her career and how she turned what was supposed to be something that was fun into a national title. And now she'll be running at the Olympic trials this summer. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review, share it with a friend, share it with a teammate, post it on social media, help spread the word of D3 Glory Days. We have a lot in store this season, and we're so excited to continue bringing this D3 content. As always, here's to the glory days. Thank you.